1: Social Security is one of the most complex and confusing federal programs. With over 2,700 rules, it's no wonder that we're confused about when and how to start collecting and who to turn to for help. Welcome to Social Security Answers from the Experts, hosted by Martha Shedden. In this podcast series, Martha meets with professionals to provide you with the answers to questions about this most important financial decision. And now, here's your host, President and co-founder of the National Association of Registered Social Security Analysts, Martha Shedden. Okay, hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. I am your host, Martha Shedden, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming Chris Hensley to the podcast Chris is a Certified Financial Planner and Retirement Income Certified Professional and is currently President and CEO of Houston First Financial Group. He previously worked for Merrill Lynch and UBS Financial Services. Chris has hosted the radio podcast show Money Matters for the past four years and has been an active contributor to Houston Money Week since 2008, currently serving on the leadership team. So, Chris, I'm so pleased to have you on the show today.
0: Absolutely. Martha, thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Well, great. I have some really good questions for you, but I, I do like to start um, in the beginning. Tell us about your, yourself. You stated that you want to help people achieve their life goals through being a financial advisor, and you studied... Tell us what you studied in college and how you got to the point where you are now.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's a good that's an interesting story there. Uh, I studied philosophy and English. And a little bit different journey than many other advisors. You know, I didn't go into this thinking I would end up doing financial planning or retirement planning. Um, I wanted to teach. I wanted to be a philosophy professor. Um, This was the mid '90s, and so this was during that was the tech boom, and eventually became the tech bubble. (laughs) Uh, You know, you could throw a a rock in the market and make some money on that, and um, that's kind of what got me pointed in that direction. I'm kind of dating myself, but I I bought. One of my stories I tell clients is I bought Yahoo when it went IPO, and then I sold it to buy a couch at Ikea. (laughs) That's such a 90s thing that puts me there. Um, But that kind of shifted me into getting interested in the market. Well, why, you know, how are people making money? What's this about? And so, and I think I read somewhere that Peter Lynch also studied philosophy before he headed up Magellan at Fidelity. And so, you know, ultimately I wanted to help people. And I wanted to teach. And so it, it turned out that uh, financial advising and financial planning was the marriage of those two. You know, I ended up going out and doing seminars and uh, a lot of public speaking and things where I, w- I would kind of uh, check that that box as far as getting in front of groups and doing group education. Um, but the the part of me that cares about the client and really, really wants to help people, that's what kind of drew me down this path.
1: Interesting. Well, um, we're glad to have you here. (laughs) So people, um, for both financial professionals and consumers listening to our show, what do you have to say about the current situation we find ourselves in with the volatile markets, inflation, rising interest rates?
0: Any advice? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I could, we could do a whole show just on that one topic. <laughs> um, you know, as I was kind of preparing for this and and thinking about, well, when did I, when I got started in the business, you know, there's what I usually will tell clients when I sit with them and give them the cliff notes version. And then there's the, if we have other advisors listening and that sort of thing, what that journey has been like, but that did point me back to the nineties and I was thinking about that tech bubble um, you know, when you're young and you're getting started in this, Industry, it's it's tough. Uh, you can see a few of these gray hairs in here, and my beard—I earned every single one of them. Uh, it, you know, if you've been through a couple of economic cycles, uh, business cycles in the market, you've seen the ups and you've seen the downs. That's definitely a benefit. It doesn't mean you can't do it if you're a younger advisor. It just means that you know when people are reaching out to you for help on social security and retirement, that that's a, that's a benefit to you. Um, I'm an active manager and I'm really into the investment side of it so I'm not uh, you know a lot of advisors use our asset gatherers and they use third-party money managers for investments and that sort of stuff I'm kind of the opposite of that i I'm the cook in the kitchen I, I like to do the investment piece myself and so specifically when I'm working with retirees and that's my market either people who are already on the other side and they're taking income off of their bucket of money that they've saved up for retirement or they're pretty darn close They're within five years or so. They're making decisions about their pension and social security and and all of that. Um, I manage the downside, and so it's more of a total return or absolute return philosophy. So I'm, you know, some people are. You'll hear, um, but you know, complete buy and hold. And then you'll hear other people that as you get closer to retirement, the, Hey, if the market goes down, it's eventually going to come back up. Well, that's not the best thing to hear when you're, <laughs> you know, you're two or three years away from retirement and you see something like we're having right now, you know, since January, we're seeing we're about, right about 15, 15% negative on the S and P 500 yeah. right now. So it's just not a really good answer, you know, for some clients. The, the good thing is it's not that buy and hold doesn't work. That's work during. During your peak earning years, you know, you have the the benefit of having all of those years to not participate. If, if, if you do get the downside, it will eventually come back up. But that story changes the closer you get to retirement. So it's not that that's. Uh, The opposite or in lieu of the buy and hold strategy, it's in addition to that, you need to really dial down and focus in what you're in as you approach retirement. And even the things that we call safe money, um, you know, used to be if you were to retire, you could just basically take everything, dump it in bonds and and live off of that. Interest rates have been at, you know, all time lows for many, many years so that that strategy doesn't necessarily work. And even if you were being financially conservative and threw everything into a bond fund, you would have lost about 10% this year as the Barclays bond aggregate is right now. It's, you know, I just said negative 15 and negative 10. That's pretty darn close for what you're thinking is your safe bucket, the money that you're not going to lose. And so we're at one of these unique points in history where, you know, interest rates are rising. They've told us this. Um, Initially, they told us that uh, they were going to be slow about the interest rate hike. And then they said, nope, we're going to be 0.5. So it's going to be more aggressive. And we know historically, the faster that they've raised rates, the more amplified the effect is on both the bond market and the equities market. So none of that stuff is good (laughs) or, you know, makes you feel better if you're about to turn on your, your retirement. So I would not caution, but I would tell people to be very intentional with intention about what you do with your retirement, especially if it's close, if it's this year, within the next couple of years, definitely a good reason to be looking at these things. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What about, um, what about the possibility of something like annuities or life insurance?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there's always a place for insurance, uh, whether it's annuities or life insurance in a um, in a good financial plan as a cornerstone. Um, the, with the clients that I work with, uh, it's a different experience. So the younger clients that I have, that's when you're looking to replace the income that you're bringing into the family. So if if something happened to you, you've got this this bucket of insurance there that will replace it. Now, when they get to me, (laughs) they're right about to retire. And so there's some interesting insurance conversations that we have. It's more about reviews and uh, inspecting what you expect. Uh, Maybe they bought that term policy 20 years ago because they were trying to save money and they weren't quite sure how it worked. And then they look at year 21, they knew that they could always renew it. But all of a sudden, the premiums went up to three times what they were paying before. Um, You know, there's interesting things you can do if you... If you purchased insurance when you were younger and you started building up cash value and you don't have a solution for long-term care and the kids are up out of the house, the, the mortgage is paid off, they're out of, of college, you might be able to do things like 1035 exchanges into long-term care policies. That's where we see some of those annuity products out there really coming in as a uh, as a really good solution you know, we've seen traditional long-term care coverage. When I started, we had 12, 13 different carriers. Now that's, as people have actually reached that age and are using it, that's whittled down to maybe three or four. I know,
1: what a surprise. I mean, you know,
0: (sighs) yeah, I had a client you reach out to me and say, you know, I got a a letter from this uh, long-term care policy and they're wanting to buy me out. They're wanting to uh, say water down the coverage uh, of an existing policy that they have, you you know, we'll lower the premiums here. If you take a, uh, like a, Ding on the coverage—that's right. um, not the craziest thing that I've heard. I, I keep hearing this yeah. kind of stuff. Doesn't yeah. mean long-term care coverage is bad. It just means that um, it, you know it's it's less affordable than it was in the past, and so it's we've got to be unique in some of the ways that we're solving that problem for retirees. Yeah.
1: Well, good. What talk to me about your company's retirement roadmap system and the three Ds?
0: Yeah, yeah. So. Uh, the retirement roadmap system is really its really what a financial plan is. Uh, it's the decisions. It's being able to, um, I like to say that retirement is a puzzle. These are all of those pieces that make sure that we fill in those that puzzle that we have the solution. Social security is a big piece of this, and it gets left off of a lot of uh, financial plans. And so, I'm heavy on the investment side, but for many, the Medicare decision, the social security decision, estate planning, Mm -hmm. um, life insurance, as you mentioned earlier, these are all really, really big things that are almost seen as ancillary or kind of outside of what, you know, you can do everything right You could invest in the market. You could put all this money aside for retirement. And then when you get to time to turn on social security or time to turn on your pension, you can make some serious mistakes that will last throughout the next 30 years of your life. Um, And so that's, that's the idea behind the retirement roadmap system is that we're making sure to include all of these things in your financial plan, that it's not a guessing thing. I realized when I looked at the website that you've had Lawrence Olikoff on your show before, mm-hmm. um, you know, the book, Get What Yours has been a big influence and I've had him on Money Matters before. I've had the, been, the, um, uh, the privilege of having him on the show mm-hmm. before. Yeah. And, you know, one of the stories he talks about in that book, kind of the way he opens the book is, you know, he's sitting down with an attorney And they're telling him um, this mistake that I made on my social security cost me money. And, you know, people who are very intelligent, analytics, CPAs, they think that they can go about making these decisions that that, that, as if it should be intuitive. It's not. (laughs) These these are some of the hardest (laughs) things that you can do as far as making these decisions. And it's definitely not clear the way that the social deal. I don't know if you've had clients that have dealt with the social security department that come in, tell you these crazy stories. (laughs) Oh, we have,
1: we have so many clients at NARSA and that that's what we do is train financial advisors on social security and that claiming decision. And you can't do it without the software, such as Larry maximize my social security. There are just hundreds of thousands of possible strategies for families that have, you know, spouse, young kids. It's just not something you can do, well, I think you're doing a disservice to your clients if you don't fully analyze that decision, which is, of course, what you were saying. And then including all these other aspects of retirement planning, retirees want that guaranteed security of regular income. And that's what social security is, pensions. Um, It's a scary time, To be approaching retirement, it's, I would think it's especially right now with what's going on, but that's, that's why we need your wise advice here. (laughs)
0: Well, and I I can tell you, you know, any of the uh, stories that we've heard before, you know, over the many years that I've gone out and done uh, seminars and presentations, and I've had uh, participants in the audience raise their hand and share these stories with me, they always stick in my head, and I like to share them, uh, so that we don't keep making the same mistakes, Uh, but, you know, Uh that experience in the last two years with covid has changed and that's got to be scary i mean i I know we had horror stories of them going into social security and getting the wrong advice not to be that way but but that's happened right well now they can't even you know during the last two years they couldn't even do that. And I'm not going to beat up on the Social Security Administration because they did a fantastic job of pivoting. Uh, they were able to take a lot of these teleworkers and make some of the, hear- the appeals hearings virtual. Um, so in that, other organizations should mirror how quick they pivoted. Now, the negative side of that or the downside of that is anytime you get new people who are new to a company or an organization, there's a learning curve there. So the amount of uh, questions that my clients have had when they've dealt with people on the phone or done one of these virtual meetings has been, it's been frustrating, you know, and the age group uh, of people who are retiring and having to deal, nobody likes dealing with a a customer 800 number (laughs) customer service, right? Uh, It's even more difficult when you have these questions. It's not a surprise that they, some of them just throw up their hands and say, I don't want to deal with this.
1: They don't, yes, and and you can't even know what questions to ask because the Social Security Administration employees aren't going to offer, they don't know your personal circumstances. So um, the more educated people are, the better, um, obviously. Um, Do you have any unique approaches or philosophy surrounding Social Security claiming decisions? that you offer your clients or how do you deal with that?
0: Yeah. So it is, it is just as you mentioned earlier, and I'll just piggyback on that, that it is, it can be as complex to everybody's situation as individual. Uh, there are, you know, what seems easy. There's so many different decision points. Who's the, you know, what's the age? If it's a couple, uh, who's the bread, you know, who's brought in the highest income? Have you been married before? Have you been divorced? Um, for me, because What's unique to my practice is that I work only with state employees, uh, so, oh. so people who are involved with teacher retirement system for state of Texas, and then the equivalent of that when you put it in the market called optional retirement program. So both of those are triggers for windfall elimination provision and government pension offset. So that is a big ax that I have to <laughs> grind. and And the bulk, one, that's not communicated very well uh, as far as when you turn on a pension, whether you're with a covered uh, social security, covered employer or a non covered uh, uh, employer, you know, triggering the, the offset on uh, on your social security is a really big deal. And so a lot of the seminars that I give and the talks that I give, it's really just, well, when you go to SocialSecurity.gov and you pull up your statement and you look at page two and you go to the top and you see what my retirement benefit is don't get that excited because if you go down to the bottom in the ital- italics and the small print it says really big if you have a uh, federal city government pension that the number that's right here at the top may not be the true number and then there's a big calculation you have to do to, to figure out what that's going to be um, and that's where the bulk of the clients that, that I deal with so my the unique thing that I do is we literally go in and look at their earnings history uh, some of the people are working for hybrid organizations that are currently paying into social security, but maybe sometime in the past they were a teacher uh, and the university didn't pay into social security. And so these are all triggers for that windfall elimination provision, that government pension offset. So a lot of times, we're we one, we don't do this willy-nilly. We use software. <laughs> so yeah. even for us, the experts, we have to have that software oh, to really yeah. v- validate what we're doing. Um, but going in there and looking for those zero years where we see Medicare earnings in this column. But nothing in this this column and really probing okay. and asking, did you, you know, did you substitute teach? What's the story here? The other thing is that I'll have situations where people are borderline meeting some of those exemptions from windfall elimination, government pension offset. And by doing a real social security analysis with software, with an advisor like ourselves, you're able to see where, hey, maybe if they went back to work part-time they're able to hit these exemptions, which would boost up their social security tremendously to hit those, um, get rid of some of those zeros or get some of the extra credits in there. Uh, But, you can't, you have to really dive into it. So, I encourage other advisors, you know, become part of the RSSA, uh, <laughs> get trained on this. Uh, you know, it's not something that I've taken business from the competition because when they come in and ask, they're great on the investments. When they come in and ask them at the wirehouse about the pension and social security, their eyes gloss over. Uh, doing a deep dive into the social security stuff is it pays in dividends, not just for you, but for the client as well.
1: Oh, and I bet you get lots of referrals because of that, because that's a, that's a complicated aspect of social security. And you probably know that the social security 2100 act, the sacred trust is proposing repeal of both
0: of those WEP and GPO. I do. And, and if you ask me, this is not good for my career, <laughs> but if you ask me, I would say yes, repeal those. Uh, I, I think you know one of the bills that that they've been passing around um, that hasn't passed, but it's been introduced. One of the things that they talked about is anything over, I think, five thousand or fifty-five hundred dollars of not letting you know, basically getting rid of weapon GPO for that limit. So there might there might be some wiggle room to figure out you know what that dollar amount is, but but because of i i know that the education's not been there and if they don't so i would say yes do away with weapon gpo even if i don't if i if i if i can't do that but um i would say if they don't do that if it doesn't pass if it's not something that gets reformed in social security that the responsibility almost passes to the employer I hate to say that, but, uh, if you are a non-social security covered employer and you have 403Bs out there and you have a, uh, a responsibility as a, as a RISA plan to come out there and have financial education, you should definitely be educating about windfall elimination provision and government pension offset, because I've had too many clients that when they get to that point and they turn it on, they're shocked that they're drawn down on yeah. it. It's like 40% or, you know, that's the worst case it could, if they get anything, uh, Forty percent of what they were expecting to get from their social security statement and that, that ranges it's different like I said for each and every person yeah. but um that's huge
1: yes it is and uh, but that's interesting that you're dealing with that a lot and i and like you mentioned, even if there's just a change to that to those two you will you will still be employed oh absolutely <laughs> whenever there's anything that has to do with Social Security that changes, there's a a huge increase in the need for explaining that. And I I like that idea of the employers explaining it, but I don't think that happens too often.
0: I don't think it does either. I wish it did. (laughs) The other one that I'm a big advocate for for Social Security reform is the CPIE. Um, So do you you think that
1: is Is it really, do you think it'll be more accurate? Because then I've also heard that over the past certain amount of time, the CPIE was not even as high as the current
0: uh, COLA calculation. So that's true. So the idea of the CPIE of adding uh, healthcare expenses for that age range, I think is a good idea. And so that idea, I would love to see that used instead of COLA, but it's probably going to be, it's also going to change as well. So, because the data points that they took back then, like as you mentioned, um, sometimes it doesn't work out where it's actually helping. But I think the idea generally that as we age, I mean, if you ask anybody if healthcare expenses are going up, it's just, you know, it's for everybody across the board, prescription drugs healthcare uh all of that is only getting more expensive and so that being included as a thing in the inflation i think is a great idea and it may be cpi uh, you know z or something i don't yeah, know it, yeah. it, it it may change over the years i uh, because that was it's been a while since they even looked at that uh, uh, bureau of statistics labor uh, but I think it's a great idea. I think it's where I we do need too. to be heading.
1: <laughs> I do too. And I think that study, the last study I remember on CPIE, it wasn't that big of a population that they were looking at. So regardless, definitely healthcare is the most um, frightening aspect about retirement planning, financial planning. Right. I agree with you on that. Um, what do you find are the most common misconceptions from your clients towards social security? And if not from your vantage point, from the average financial advisor?
0: Yeah, yeah, sure. So the two that I mentioned earlier, that windfall elimination and that government pension offset, of course, I'm going to focus there because that's, that's where I live. Uh, But you know, that, When they come in the office, um, if they've seen other advisors, uh, you can kind of tell the level of how far the advisors gone into it, because, you know, it's it, all advisors are basically discussing social security and they've got some basic calculators out there and they can talk about it. And that's how we were until we <laughs> until we did a deep dive into it and really got into the weeds with it. And that's uh, the big differentiator between real advice on the social security stuff. The windfall elimination provision, the government pension offset. I've got a, you know, I I've got a copy of a, a form uh, from one of my clients. This is one of the most recent review meetings I had. Uh, he activated, um, well, he retired from a community college here in Houston, and he was on the optional retirement program. That means he didn't have the pension, the fixed pension. He was able to put money into Fidelity's ORP, and a lot of people think because they're putting it in the market, it's not going to trigger windfall elimination provision or government pension Uh offset. However, (laughs) if you go into the program operations manual system of the Social Security Department and you look up Texas Teachers Retirement System and Texas ORP program, ORP is considered a optional reti- and a social security alternative. And so it's a triggering event. And so it's, it comes into play as, as far as when you start taking distributions from that, you may trigger windfall elimination and government pension offset. And then you'll get a letter like this because they will make you self-report whether you've turned on a pension or not.
1: <laughs> so, you know, I think Texas may be unique in that. I had a question last week when I did a presentation about that. And so are those folks that are doing the OPR, are they... Also contributing into FICA or not?
0: They may or may not be. So that's the big difference if it's a covered or non covered employer. So, uh, University of Texas, that's one that's currently paying FICA and they have ORP. So they should be okay generally. However, if they've worked out a state in another state where they didn't pay into Social Security, uh, the trigger is are they part of ORP? Yes, then we have to go back and validate and make sure that they're hitting some of these uh, exemptions. But that's how I found out about this. I had somebody sitting in the audience and said, Chris, I chose ORP. Because I heard TRS and the pension was w- would somehow offset my Social Security. So I said, I'm not going to do the pension. I'm going to do the investments myself. I'm going to do ORP. Oh. And I thought, well, is that how it worked? So I had to go into the operation. They hide it from us. <laughs> I had to go into the operations manual of Social Security and found where it talked about how they figure out ORP how the triggering event for WEP and geo uh, government pigeon offset is when you take that first distribution. So one of the strategies is, well, if you're going to be ORP, maybe pull from the other buckets first before you start taking it. Because you know, once you take it, they're going to look at it. Uh, they're going to do a calculation where they're annuitizing it as if you did a pension as if you did TRS. So it's complicated. It's a lot of stuff to, uh, to think about for clients. Yeah.
1: And, but they do have a choice of when they can start taking
0: it. Right, right. And that's the thing. So even after you're retiring and taking the money, two separate.
1: Oh, right. And same yeah, with and social security. People yes, think if they quit yes. working, they should start collecting.
0: Right, right. And, and you know that often we're going to recommend them to push as long as they can, not all across the board, but generally yeah. that's going to help. They're going to get that 8% uh, compound if they push right. out to age 70. So waiting on social security is a really good strategy. Uh, but a lot of times people will confuse retiring with, I have to turn on social security, yeah. or I have to start taking money from my giant lump sum retirement plan, like ORP. Those are all different decision points. And there's an efficient way to draw those those uh, buckets of money down. And that that floor, the uh, social security, the guaranteed income you have coming in, there's a way to kind of juggle them so they're efficient on taxes and that you're minimizing, uh, whether you're even taxed on social security and not right. a tax torpedo. <laughs>
1: Right. It's that holistic. um, It's there's a quote by a Nobel laureate, William Sharp, I think he he says um, decumulation is the nastiest, most difficult financial thing to do. Something like that. I agree with (laughs) that. So complicated.
0: I agree Uh, with that.
1: um, What do you, let's see, what shall I ask you next? Oh, this is, Yeah, this is a little different, but once in a while, like we're going through now, a world event happens that affects all our lives, regardless of how far away it is. So talk to us about the war in Ukraine, the effect it may have on retirees. How is it and will it continue to impact us financially? Is there a direct link to that?
0: Yeah. So that's a difficult one, right? So that's one of those black swan events that, you know, doesn't matter how good an advisor you have. <laughs> we we don't have a crystal ball and we don't know what's going to come up. We know at some point there's going to be one of these events that happen. Now, I know historically, um, I've got a, a uh, chart here hanging up on my desk here uh, that's looked at uh you know historical events like Kennedy's uh, assassination and World wow. War 1, World War 2. And we know there's a pattern there as far as how much the market goes down. So there's some things we can look at and get kind of an idea of how it affects and believe it or not, it sounds crass but war you think would be a bigger uh, offset than some of these other things that that we've had so you know we do know if the market goes down it'll eventually come back right but real time right now that's not a fantastic answer because we've got (laughs) I I know if we dig down into what's been going on since January um, asset classes that I'm investing that we've been investing energy commodities and things like that they're very much tied into what's going on right now Um, the idea that Europe being turned. Off from a, a supply of oil that they're used to, uh, all of that comes right back to us. As far as when we're putting gas in the car, um, inflation—you know—it's we we go out and we talk about inflation, but I think over the past two years, uh, you know, going to the grocery store, buying a, a gallon of milk, you, you feel it. <laughs> uh, uh, you yeah. you know. And so the stuff that's going on in the Ukraine, I think the biggest uh, risk that we see there is there's this question mark, right? We don't really know when there's going to be a solution. Uh, Most likely what we're seeing is that this is not a quick fix type thing. And so all of that stuff is, if you're the person who's lucky enough to, to be retiring right now and having to make some really big decisions about retirement, um, that some of the things that we're talking about today, social security, that's you know guaranteed, uh, it's got the cost of living adjustment on it. Those are things that you, when you sit down and you do your post-retirement budget and you're trying to, what I call, create that retirement paycheck, what's my new paycheck going to look like when I turn my employer off? Those things are strong. Um, That's the why, you know, because there's not that question mark in there. You could have the best investment advisor out there. The market does good, but there's no guarantee there. There's always that question mark. And so that social security income that you have, um, pensions, things that are guaranteed floor, that's where you start. Um, Everything else, there's that variable, like, you know, one year you're up double digits. Next year, you're negative 15. (laughs) That's why those dollars, the the social security income, those dollars that we're talking about are more valuable to you because you can predict them, you can budget them. Uh, The other stuff, there's a big question mark there. So um, definitely you can't think too hard on this stuff, but there are efficient ways to approach it and come at it, yeah.
1: How can financial advisors stay on the cutting edge in their business? And along with that, um, do you think there's education that they routinely fail to give themselves to be better prepared?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. So, so we're famous for not. Um, this is one of the jobs that you have to keep current. Uh, you have like the organizations like RSSA, professional continuing education. You have to do that. I mean, we're required to do the licensing stuff, right? As advisors, so all of us who are in the securities industry have license. But when you pass that those exams you know more than your client, but a lot of times over your career, that stuff only comes in when it comes in, right? It's it's trust accounts, estate accounts, stuff that you study for on the exam. It doesn't really become real until you start dealing with these type yeah. of accounts and these type of, of clients. Um, you have a responsibility to your client to go out there and learn about this stuff. Social security is a great uh, example of that because it doesn't, Automatically translate to new revenue in the door for advisors, right? They're not necessarily going to pay you just for the Social Security stuff, although they might. I know for a, they might, uh, but separate from that, even if they didn't, it is critical for your clients to get into the weeds with this stuff and learn how it works. Same thing with Medicare. Medicare is no fun. We don't don't like dealing with that, but here's the companion book. Get what's yours, Medicare. (laughs) Uh, Philip Mahler, the co-author of Get What's Yours. Yes, yes. Super duper important. Uh, You know, the Irma uh, fiscal cliff, if you don't have the right information there, they're going to charge you the highest possible premium that you can get all of this stuff. If you don't know it, how do you expect the client to know it? You don't know what you don't know. The client doesn't know what they don't know. Uh-uh. After you, you know the RICP, the RSSA organization. After you start getting into here, you realize this stuff is exactly the type of client that I'm dealing with, and these are the issues that they're dealing with. Um, and you have to come at it like it's your 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 parent, your grandparent, you. Uh, You have to care, you know, and that there's a lot of advisors out there that are just producers and asset gatherers and they they're they don't care. So uh, don't be that person.
1: Don't be that person. Okay, so for someone who's planning to retire in five years or so fairly soon and will only remember one or two things from. The interview that we've had, what would you like them to remember to better situate themselves for retirement?
0: Yes. So that's a good question. Um, Because I'm an active manager on the investment side and focus on capital preservation and managing the downside, that's really, really important to me. Um, And and so that's where I'd say, you know, as you get closer and that five year, you know, three year, um, it becomes more and more important that you don't retire. You have a situation like this happening right now where you're asset class agnostic where you're just um, impartial about where the investments are at. The biggest mistake that I see right now is target date funds. Really? Yeah, these are super, super popular right now. And if you think of the way that target date funds work, right, uh, they put us into an asset allocation that looks like, you know, maybe 60% bonds and 40% equities and then as you get closer to whatever year you picked, so if you think you're retiring in 2025, it's going to automatically put you into something that looks almost 100% like bond funds, right? But remember at the beginning of the interview, I yeah. said the bonds are down 10%. Right. Wouldn't you be freaking out if you picked a, a target date yeah. fund because you thought it was the safest thing that you could possibly put your money in and it lost 10% right along with the rest of the market. Right. So they're not doing anything wrong there. That's they glide path you based on your age. The problem is they're they're not, they take no regard to what's going on in the market currently, right? And we know that this is what's good when they're raising rates during um when they're raising rates. this is what happens to bond funds so you're going to have to be more conscious to the, of that as you get closer to retirement and you can't really afford to get a big drawdown. So looking at, so, and this is the way the way that I got turned on to total return or absolute return is this is the way that uh, TRS manages their money. This is the way pension fund managers manage the money is they can't come back to you and say, you know, we lost all of your pension funds because the market was down. Yeah. So um, being focused on minimizing the drawdown on the investment side, is a huge piece of it. Again, not the only piece of it, all of these other things come into play, and they're, you know, just as important. But that's something where a good advisor could come in and and really help shift you from, you know, the ladder that got you there, the buy and hold, it's not that that's wrong. uh, It's just not necessarily the same ladder that's going to get you to where you need to be in retirement.
1: That's so true. So the final question, what do people not even know to be asking? So I know that um, many have taken charge of their own investments and savings and growth, but then when they're approaching retirement, and I'd be interested to know what age you think that is, do they need to really focus on finding a financial professional who? is doing what you're doing, who's looking at the whole picture. How do they interview and find a financial professional for that retirement phase, which is a whole different financial situation than what they've been in their working life?
0: Yeah, so absolutely. So Inter- you know, interviewing an advisor, I would definitely look for somebody who has that experience with social security uh, because of how big an issue this is. Uh, investment piece is important, but having like, I'm an RICP, I have to correct you because I think you said uh, CFP. Oh. So just so my compliance, that's okay. So my compliance department's happy. <laughs> uh, I'm a retired, uh, an RICP. But the point of that is that, um, and somebody that's from RSSA is that they're, they have Educated themselves on that retirement piece, and that's so important because of the mistakes that they could make. You know, they don't know what they don't know. Uh, We we hear teachers have heard somewhere in the break room that you know I'm not going to get Social Security because I'm a teacher. That's that's usually not the case. The average uh, teacher that I see, even in their college years, they've worked some part-time position that they've gotten some amount of social security in there. So even if it's three or $400, you take that times 30, (laughs) uh, you know, we're talking millions of dollars. This is probably bigger than what you've got saved up as in your investment portfolio.
1: It's. We're often uh, saying it is many people's largest retirement asset, and it isn't treated as an asset. The fiduciary, like you mentioned, just caring about all these, I think there's just not an awareness of that. But I had a client and she had been a teacher, but she also had social security income. She was married to a gentleman from the UK who was receiving a pension. So boy, that was complicated. Wow. He was (laughs) entitled to a spousal benefit on her reduced WEP PIA. And of course, we went through so many rounds with the Social Security Administration. Wow. In 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 the end, he only received maybe two or three hundred dollars. But you know what? That was paying for his Medicare premium.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, and that four national (laughs) web—that's a big math problem. (laughs) And then going through the Social Security Department to figure it out. But yeah, at the end of the day, uh, nobody's going to turn down an additional couple hundred bucks or two or three hundred bucks. I mean, uh, that's a big thing. It is.
1: It is, and it's so gratifying to—I know you must feel that way too. It's just so wonderful to see people. Uh, secure and feeling at ease about their retirement years.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um,
1: Well, this has been wonderful talking with you. Where can people go to learn more about you to get in touch? I'm assuming you work remotely with clients.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we are here in the Houston and the Gulf coast area. Uh, when COVID happened, we actually started doing webinars about two months prior to that. And we expanded our footprint from just Houston, and the Gulf coast, all across Texas. So now I have people wow. from Austin, San Antonio. It's, it's actually, you know, it was in some ways dumb luck. And in some way, it was a blessing to be there before. Uh, but you can find us on uh, www.houstonfirstfinancialgroup.com. Uh, And we do work with people virtually outside of physically here in Houston. And then definitely for the podcast, it's www.moneymatterspodcast.com. And that'll give you an idea of, you know, the different areas that we can dive into and that we've explored. And, yep.
1: Great. Oh, it's been so, so fun speaking with you. Um, That's it for today, though. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Please tune in every Wednesday. For new episodes, our expert guests share a wide variety of knowledge about every aspect of retirement planning, and we will see you next week.